Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. This is a very special day. You just heard the voice of my co-producer and very good friend and colleague, Ryan Treasure at Voice America. He's the VP of Operations. I call him the VP of everything, and it's Ryan's birthday. And I like to say that Ryan and I are a brother and sister. We share a birthday. It's a couple of decades apart. So whatever the mom was, she was an amazing woman, and his mother was still around. So let's all say happy birthday to Ryan Treasure. Happy birthday, birthday. Ryan Treasure. Birthday. Thank you. Thank you. I did a live ra- a TV show many years ago, actually uh, 20 years ago in New York in Great Neck. Lori's been on my show. I'll tell you my panelists are in a second. And I had, uh, it was a birthday show when I was five zero, and I had a psychologist come in and talk about the psychology of aging. And I had a clown and we had a big cake and I found people in Great Neck who had October birthdays and they came on and talked and it was just a blast. So here we are, technology revolution, the future of now. Welcome, 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 welcome. We're going to be serious today. We're seriously talking about humor, comedy, being funny, and technology. Where is it all going? We're all coming out of this pandemic. We're not sure what's going on. Can comedians be on stage? Do they want to be in front of a live audience? Are they using tech? Are they using online platforms? How are they reaching out? The world needs to laugh, for goodness sake. So let me read my prepared monologue, and then I'll introduce my guest. What's the buzz? I have an article from uh, www tvbeurope.com. You can go check it out. Here we go. Over the centuries, human beings have always loved to laugh. I want my panelists to all laugh now. (laughs) There we go. Okay. We can imagine jokes being shared by our cave-dwelling ancestors about the two woolly mammoths. You heard the one about the two woolly mammoths walk into the... No, I didn't hear it either. Today, comedy is shared with a vast audience by world-famous arena-filling comedians. Comedy is part of human culture. And comedy is also perpetuated and perpetrated by people we've never heard of who are really, really, really funny. So I'm continuing with the quote. There seems to be more comedy than ever. There are local comedy clubs. There's the Edinburgh Fringe, YouTube, comedy series, Hollywood movies. However you like your comedy served up, there's probably a source that's catering to your taste. Mm, and your availability and your preferred venue. Let's add that in. One more quote from this article. Still some key challenges for all but the very top tier of acts. It's hard to make a living. Comedy has always lingered slightly in music's shadow in terms of new media. Comedy is lagging behind embracing digital platforms. This is all a quote from Sarah Henley, co-founder of the SVOD comedy platform Next Up. I have four wonderful people. Two of them I know fairly well. Two of them I just met about 12 minutes ago, and they're here on Faith, and I'm here on Zoom having fun watching them. I see how they think. Two of them are wearing hats. Two of them are not. One is in front of this luxurious poolside uh, castle. It's an estate, and one of them is this very rustic, rustic home. And I know he just had quiche for breakfast. So let me tell you who's on with me today. Eddie Sarfati is on. Laurie Hamill is with me. Peter Michael Marino and Karen Bergreen. And we're going to ask them for their take on what's so funny. And that was the name of my first TV show. What's so funny? The future of human humor 
human humor and technology. There we go. I am Bonnie. It is my birthday. I'm so happy to celebrate with all of you. I'm not going to cry. A Facebook Messenger has been lighting up all morning with people I hardly even know who I haven't talked to in two, three, five, ten years sending me wishes, and I think that's really cool to stay connected. Eddie Sarfati, you're up first. Eddie, we'd love for you to introduce yourself, reintroduce yourself. You've been on radio with me uh, once, I think, a couple weeks ago through our mutual friend, Susan Corso. Shout out to Susan Corso. Thank you for introducing me to Eddie. I appreciate it, Susan. And Eddie, in case there's three people in the world who don't know who you are, I would be amazed if there are that many, but would you please speak to those three people, Eddie? Introduce yourself, what's your background, and what does this topic mean to you? Go ahead. Sure. Um, First of all, Bonnie, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, I'm Eddie Sarfati. I've been a professional stand-up comic for the past 20 years. I'm a writer as well, um, and I run comedy workshops around the country. Um, I've you know, you might have seen me on Comedy Central or NBC or the Today Show. All right, enough about me. Um, <laughs> I, you know, technology is just so everywhere, more than, you know, we could have ever imagined. And more than, and it will be more than we're imagining now, um, I suspect. And every bit of our lives is affected by it. And I think that comedy has been affected by it. I mean, for the past... 20, 30 years, you know, even the um, advent of Comedy Central made a huge change to comedy. And of course, with all the internet platforms and, um, you know, the widespread, uh, you know, the continually spreading um, connection with people all over the world, it's definitely taking new turns. And some of them have been magnified during the COVID epidemic because people are depending on Um, remote comedy, I guess you'd call it, more than ever. Thank you, Eddie. Very, very happy to have you here, and I'm glad you are safe and well, and we did enjoy watching you enjoy your quiche. You said it was, what did you say, goat cheese and spinach? Uh, Spinach, pepper. I wish you had enough for all of us, really. I'm a little hungry. Well, we're not quite at that. True. Downloadable quiche from Eddie. Thank you. And a shout out to Court. Your husband is there with you and he helped set you up on the tech. He made the quiche, actually. (gasps) Well, Court, thank you for the quiche. I appreciate it. Lori Hamill is up next. I have to tell everybody, Lori was on my TV show. She was a, shall we say, an online dating advocate. Uh, She was working with a woman named Dr. Diana. And Lori and Diana came on my TV show, something to talk about many years ago. It was many years ago. So I moved here to Durham, North Carolina, and I'm at the gas pump filling up my sports car, oh, about a year and a half ago, and a little video comes up on the pump, and it's an insurance ad, and there's Lori Hamill. So I'm filling up the gas, and I'm saying, I know that lady, it's Lori. So I connect, reconnected with Lori, and she's been on She's been on this show a couple of times. We talked about uh, pet adoptions, right? Digital remote pet, pet adoptions, and she's been on other mm-hmm. shows with me. So Lori, I'm thrilled to have you back. Love the hat you're rocking. Lori, in case there were 2.3 people who don't remember you, shame on them. Why don't you re- introduce yourself, Lori Hamill. Hi, I'm Lori Hamill. Thank you so much, Bonnie, and happy birthday. I hope we get to Thank sing you. happy birthday to you later you in the show Anytime, today. just break right out and sing. It's okay. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday, birthday dear Bonnie and Ryan. Happy birthday to you. 
Ah, oh, thank you. That was lovely. Thank you, Larry. I'm very and everybody. I'm very, very flattered. I don't usually talk about it, but why the heck not? And I would have baked for all of you, but it would have been hard shipping them in time. Laurie, let's introduce you. Go ahead. That was okay. lovely. Well, here's here's a cupcake that my husband oh. knitted. So how about that? That's good for online, right? No calories. Um, <laughs> my name is Lori Hamill. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It was a pleasure to be on your show, uh, the live television show. I think we did one called Funny Ladies. Yes, we ago. did. Yes, we did. And uh, also here on the radio. And um, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I'm originally from North Dakota. I live in New York City now. I know it seems a long way away, and it is. Um, but my dreams were to be um, an actress. And so um, my dream came true with being on Broadway uh, with Mamma Mia and also did the national tour. And then after that, it was like, hey, what else can I do? So I've been doing a lot of fun television. Um, well, things like 30 Rock and uh, Samantha B and uh, Master of None, The Onion, The Colbert Report, uh, let's see, uh, Patriot Act, which was actually just canceled recently. But anyway, I've had a lot of fun on TV and um, now I'm trying to go into drama on television, which has really been fun too. I uh, got to do Jessica Jones um, and do my own stunt, which was amazing. But um, I love comedy. And Peter Michael Marino, who's also on the panel, and I created a few years ago, Margot Rose Reports, which was, uh, he was the producer and director of that. And I actually played Margot Rose Furterer, the yes. uh, clueless yet relentless reporter for New York too. Uh, so anyway, I love comedy. Um, technology, it's interesting how things happen in translation. Um, years ago, I was uh, with a show called uh, Forbidden Broadway, or Forbidden Hollywood. I was with both shows, but we were in Osaka, Japan, and um, they had the super titles up, and I was singing uh, a parody lyrics to a Barbara Streisand song, as Barbara Streisand, uh, It Was My Man. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I messed up and I started singing the real lyrics, but they were watching the super titles, which were in kanji. So they were laughing to the jokes that were being put up on the you know, super titles while I was singing like a doorknob, the real lyrics. Um, so it's one of those things, translation. It's like, what, what are you giving to people that they are able to accept and react to? And then what's really happening behind all that. So I think what it is to me, what's so interesting about this comedy uh, topic that you've chosen today is how do you get the funny into being remote when you're removed? So I'm really interested to hear what everyone has to say today. And thank you so much for having me here. Oh, Laurie, absolutely delighted. You know, when I was studying stand-up, because I did it for a few years in, in New York, I studied with Steve Rosenfeld's American Comedy Institute, and I debuted at Caroline's, everybody remember Caroline's, with about 10 newbies. And the bookends were a professional opener and closer. And we had to invite our families, our friends. They had to pay to get in, just like regular. A couple hundred people there. I think we had five minutes, four and a half minutes on stage, the blue light, the whole thing. And I was scared out of my mind, but I did it. And, and people came up after and thanked me and told me they related to my, I said I was a born again divorcee and the V word, never mind. And it was, it was just really, really fun. I had a corsage on. I'm celebrating 21 years of being divorced. And women came up as the, after the show and said, nobody ever talks about that. You're so brave. And it was funny how it related. But what I wanted to say was comedy is so culture based. I think you can all agree with that. The references have to be, as Laurie said, to the, the audience. And when you have remote, think about that. You don't know. You're not in front of an audience. You can't see, hey, who's from Long Island? Who's from New Jersey? Sorry about that. You can't, you can't get the flavor for it if it's a remote online audience. You don't know. 
So I guess there's always the risk of it doesn't hit. That it offends in a specific cultural way. Uh, There are all kinds of new challenges, but I want to go on and introduce the other two guests and then we'll get into it. Peter, Michael, Marino here via Laurie Hamill. Peter, delighted you are rocking a hat too. And welcome and let's meet you. Go ahead, Peter. Thanks. Yeah. You can just call me Pete. It's very complicated that I have three names. Uh, it's Lori gave me a great lead in actually, because, uh, we were doing this Margot Rose Furterer television show, uh, doing shooting it in Times Square and in the studio and all this stuff. We had no idea what the audience was going to, how they were going to respond, but we created comedy. From what I hear, there's been, uh, quite a few comedy shows that have been playing on television and movie screens for ever. Uh, where they didn't know what the audience was responding to. So I don't think we're doing anything that different uh, in the world of comedy. Uh, Although I know stand-up comedians probably feel a little differently about that. Um, I I kind of jumped on the uh, digital uh, performing thing. March 18th was my first live show, and I insisted Mm. on doing it on this new thing called Zoom. Uh, and I had 80 people from around the world, everyone wow. with their microphones on and their screens on. And I had a screen manager in case somebody was eating their quiche during the show. Uh, <laughs> and it worked, you know? I was doing a one-man comedy show called Desperately Seeking the Exit, which uh, I did in Edinburgh for many years and all around the world, which is uh, the true story of my experience writing the West End musical uh, Desperately Seeking Susan, which was a huge flop. Uh, and then um, opened in Tokyo, going, going back to Lori. I'm looking at you as if I can see your square, um, which opened in Tokyo and, and was a big hit. Uh, so that was a comedy in itself. Um, yeah, I've done about 50 online live interactive shows since the pandemic started. So uh, I'm not missing any comedy at all. And, um, and Peter, what about the, the culture thing? You say people have their microphones on. Are you, are you connecting with everybody? Are there any, is it something that is flowing naturally for you? Yes. I, I, my show is a comedy and I can't do comedy unless I have a reaction from the audience. Good point. Um, and I don't know what the timing is. Uh, so, uh, but more importantly, actually, uh, what I learned was um, I'm, I'm doing theater because I'm bringing people together in a shared space at the exact same time where they yes. can see and hear each other. So I feel like I'm yes. keeping theater alive. Uh, I love this technology and I'm a get off my lawn old man kind of guy. So <laughs> I just adapted. Um, am I supposed to talk about what I did, what I've done? I don't even know. Just just uh, a little, just another minute because I want to get to Karen. Just another right. minute. We're enjoying meeting you. Go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, well, I've been doing a show called Show Up Kids, which is a improvised, semi-improvised interactive show with kids all around the world. Uh, uh, which is an adaptation of my adult show called Show Up, which is an mm-hmm. improvised one-man show that makes fun of one-person shows and improv shows <laughs> and also dives into mental health uh, topics, because, of course. Um, I produced a bunch of stuff, including uh, Gary Busey's One Man Hamlet as performed by David Carl, which was a, a big hit in Edinburgh and at the Chicago Shakespeare Theatre. And um, I was in Stomp for five years playing, quote-unquote, the funny guy. Peter, it's it's too bad you have no experience in comedy and you're such a newbie. And we're so happy that you're so brave to show up today and talk like a wannabe. I want to do this. Peter, I'm uh, Laurie, thank you for bringing Peter. This, this is great. I'm so impressed. And when you said having a live online audience with their mics, it's theater. You're right. What do you think we're doing now? Right. This is a, a, supposed to be a technology show. Well, we're having a good time. I think this is a little bit of performance theater, the five of us talking and engaging. 
I moved, I've been doing live radio professionally for almost 10 years. I have 52 radio series. I have launched, produced, and I have hosted every single one of them, sometimes 250 live shows a year. And I just switched to Zoom in the beginning of this year, and the pandemic pushed me into that. I wish I had moved my shows to Zoom a year or two ago. The technology was there, but I love seeing my guests. I get to watch you think and watch you move around and see what's on your mind. And it has added, I love to call it the nuance of being there. And it has just, Lori Wright, it has enhanced radio. And Peter, you're right. It's turned it into almost a theatrical experience. And I love that comment. Karen Bergreen, you have been so patient. You are sitting there in front of your mansion, your multi-million dollar house with the magnificent lighted pool. Karen, we're so happy you tore yourself away from your your gazillionaire lifestyle. Thank you. And it's interestingly, it's sunset. Um, I'm loving this already. I love meeting you, Bonnie. Happy birthday. And I note that Lori led us in the song because she has a beautiful voice. So, and then, uh, you know, I'm like, and I was about to make fun of your voice and you're like, oh, I'm in Mamma Mia. And I'm like, whatever. Okay. So you're, um, love me. I've known Eddie since the beginning of time and I love him. He's so funny. Um, and Peter, you sound so funny. Like, I just want to sit and chat, chit chat with you. My story, I was a lawyer, blah, 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 boring 20 years ago, switched. And I'm a working comic. I've done some TV. I've been on The View. I've been on some TV shows like, like as a, like day role kind of things like law and order kind of stuff. Um, but I am a comedian first and foremost. I do am a novelist that I've written. Um, two uh, comic novels that have gotten pretty good reviews, New York Times kind of thing, Oprah Magazine, if I want to just tout myself. Well, please do. Wait, wait, and, what is a comic and, uh, novel, Karen? What is a comic oh, novel? Polly, Polly. Oh, a comic novel. It's, um, you know, with a funny character. It's a, they're sort of murder mysteries, but you don't really care who, that the person <laughs> died. Do you know what I mean? Because they're like, they're sort of awful. Um <laughs> And they're 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 kind of feel good sort of uh, buildings Romans like uh, Bridget Jones genre mm-hmm. kind of thing. okay thank you um, <laughs> so then um, and you know I have been teaching stand up for almost fifteen years and I teach to uh, with Manhattan Comedy School which is a competitive competitor to your uh, where you went to. right Steve Rosenfeld, Rosenfeld right. And um, I've been teaching for really like twice to uh, the classes are six weeks long. You know, each one I do a Monday class and a Wednesday class. I'm not I'm not necessarily promoting the school, but I'm just I want to tell you the story of mm-hmm. how it relates to this. Yeah. And I do them, you know, like we don't take like Columbus Day off. Like I've been doing this for so long. <laughs> March 12th, we decided to do a Thursday class. It was going to start on March 12th. And the night before was when Tom Hanks said he was sick. And I am allergic to technology. I have AOL. <laughs> the idea that I'm on this show is like, my kids will laugh, but there's a however. Um, and March 12th, I freaked out and I, I called the guy who runs the school and I said, I can't, I can't do this. Like, this is, we're going to die. 
And I had already been for a couple of weeks coming in in gloves. Like I was scared. And, mm. and he goes, okay, well, we'll do, we'll just start on zoom next week on Monday. And I was like, zoom, I don't even know what zoom is. <laughs> so the, that class that was supposed to start March 12th, I did the other ones the Monday and Wednesday that sort of continued. But that class that was supposed to start on March 12th, we started on March 19th. The level of intimacy that we had, there is an intimacy on Zoom. Mm -hmm. I love my students. We, uh, we all, you develop for people who, like Sadie, you said you do workshops. I don't know, Bonnie, if you remember your people in your class, you develop this weird in the trenches. Yep. You know, like, well, I feel this like love toward them. Yep. But this group, because of the corona, because we were, could do this, we got so connected. The class ended six weeks later. We still meet yep. every Thursday on Zoom, even if it's for an hour. And even if there's no, we do sort of an a la carte thing, even if it's like there's no money exchange, like just to have like a glass of wine, there's something about this. And I feel like I really educated myself. I do a show with two other women, it used to be called Lean Over. We now call it the Ruthless Comedy Hour. We've done it, been doing it on the Upper West Side for, um, it's like a charity thing that we do um, for it. And it's a variety show. We've changed it into so much more of a variety. It was variety before because one of the people is a, a musical person. But now we do sketch. You could do stuff with sketch. Mm -hmm. We have so much fun. It's kind of like, it's opened me comedically this mm -hmm. now I do miss the live audiences. I am, I perform in central park usually twice a week with stand up New York. And when I first did that, I cried because it was so exciting to have that face to face. Am I going on too long, Bonnie? No, just another 30 seconds. Cause I want to get to the quotes, but I'm loving your story, Karen. Okay. Absolutely. So I cried, but I do find like we can do things like I love the chat section on zoom what an amazing way to involve an audience. It's like a dream. I'm gonna, and then we can talk more in the individual things. But I love meeting you all. Thank you, Karen. Fascinating. So you were what we used to call, or we do call a Luddite. You, you said you're allergic to technology. You didn't want to do it. And here you are on a, on a show about technology revolution, the future of now my show. And Zoom has changed your life as a, an instructor of comedy as a relator to comic people, as a, a colleague, as a collaborator. Fascinating. We never anticipated this, did we, Laurie? That this, oh my God, we can't see people. Oh. We can't. And now here we are. I'm I'm so I'm so thrilled to be speaking to all four of you because you've all added so much already. We're almost halfway, half past. We didn't get to the quotes yet. I'm almost wanting to skip them, but you know what? I'm not. So you all went to the effort of picking a quote from a movie, a book, a song. I'm going to do a very quick read on the background. And I, I'll tell you what, let's keep this segment because I want to get to the predictions. That's what people want to know. Let's keep the segment about two minutes tight a piece on explaining your quote. So all right, here we go. So Eddie Sarfadia sent us a quote from 1984, a novel by George Orwell, published it as 1984. That's the name that has been known as. It was originally called 1984 
spelled out, colon, a novel. It's a dystopian novel by English novelist George Orwell, published in 1949. It was his ninth and final book, and it centers on the consequences of totalitarianism, mass surveillance, and repressive regimentation of all people and behaviors within society. I'll leave it alone. Here's the quote. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Eddie, rescue us. Is this, how does this relate <laughs> to comedy? Go ahead, Eddie. Ouch. Yeah. I noticed after I sent it in that it was very different from everyone else's uh, okay. quote. But um, I think it's influenced by, you know, what's happening with technology now. I think maybe I would tweak the quote to say, you know, uh, a boot trying to stamp on a human face. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, all the stuff that's going right on right now with disinformation and the collecting of data from people, um, you know, it's frightening. And I think that um, we're unaware of it and we're unaware of how technology is influencing our behavior and um, our beliefs and so forth. And since comedy is so, um, it's emotional. I mean, good comedy is about connection. It's got to have an emotional content. It's got to be more than just clever. And, um, you know, all the information that's collected, you know, um, if you watch a comedy show on the internet you know they're measuring how long you watch it they're measuring what kind you know what time you watch it what kind of comedy appeals to you um you know and you know we've all heard stories about you know cameras secretly recording us and um you know just in the future i think those tools can be turned against us and comedy because it's so um emotional is um, a great way to influence people, just, you know, influence people emotionally. Um, and you're unguarded. You know, when you share a laugh with somebody, yep. you, it's like a moment of intimacy that you allow yourself, that's safe, in a way that intimacy based on any other emotion isn't. So, um, you know, that's why it's easy to use comedy to get unpleasant news across or, or to keep people's attention to things they'd rather not be, um, you know, worrying about. In all, in all the studies that they've done comparing, um, you know, John Stewart's audience, for example, to people who watch CNN, the John Stewart people always end up being much better informed about what's going on. And I started thinking, well, what if John Stewart had some nefarious goal and <laughs> feeding, <Uh-oh>. feeding us <laughs> information? on, you know, that we were willing to accept from him or whoever because we feel connected, um, we feel bonded to him because he's making us laugh. And if you were to couple that with all of the, um, the data that, that's being collected from us, you know, and now it's just getting more and more sophisticated where they can, you know, different facial expressions and tying that to the, you know, cross-reference that with the other information. Um, a friend of mine was was writing an article about a, um, a meditation um, program where it recorded, you know, how your brain waves were getting relaxed during, during the meditation. And, you know, the frightening thing about that is all of a sudden your brain wave information is going to people. Um, so it seemed there's going to be some kind of thing where that information is going to be used to someone's advantage, either to sell something or to influence you in ways that you're not aware of. So I think that, 
my take on the topic was going further than what's going to happen next week. Sort of this, you know, um, big warning that we're all going to have to have um, going forward. Thank you, Eddie. That's the dark side of comedy. Comedy as a delivery mechanism to bring real people in and the subtext. I think you're talking about subtext, sub-message. And we're going to lighten this up a little bit. So thank you very much. That's our our dark side of comedy (laughs) and tech. And I appreciate that, Eddie. Now let's lighten it up. Laurie has sent us a quote from Frodo and Gondal from The Lord of the Rings, an epic high fantasy novel by the English author and scholar J.R. Tolkien. And Gondal is a protagonist. He is the wizard of the Istari order and Frodo Baggins is a fictional character. He's a hobbit of the Shire who inherits the one ring from his cousin Bilbo Baggins. Let's leave it at that. Frodo said, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Laurie, what's this all about? Well, okay, first of all, during the pandemic now, I have been watching a lot of The Lord of the Rings, I'll admit it, and also (laughs) The Hobbit. Um, I have watched them many times, so um, there's just something soothing about it. Other times I've watched all the Harry Potter, all eight movies. Um, So that's usually (laughs) when I'm doing my taxes. But this is uh, what's happening for me is that, um, you know, you're watching these shows and um, there's these kernels of truth in it. And I just felt like, you know, uh, when Gandalf said that about, you know, we have to all we have to do decide is what we're going to do with our time that we are given. And I was thinking about that because I've been trying to really use this time during the pandemic to learn and doing everything I can. Like Karen was talking about, um, you know, getting excited about Zoom. I've been taking classes, teaching classes, um, and it's just been a great way for me to actually deepen my um, understanding of some of the topics that I love, uh, including, uh, you know, uh, performance, voiceover. Um, and I just feel like it's just important for us to just say, this is what I got. What am I going to do with it? You know, got yep. lemons, make lemonade, that kind of thing. So that's something that I've been trying to uh, incorporate into my kind of my daily plan. You know, I, I make a list of everything I'm going to do that day and includes getting outside and getting a great walk and in and, and being um, just uplifted by that. So that's where that quote, quote comes from. And I do love watching The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Thank you, Laurie. And I'm watching some new uh, comedy types of shows on Netflix. And unfortunately, the new series only have six or eight or 10 episodes. So I have devoured Sisters. I have devoured The Duchess. I have devoured Girl Boss. I have devoured Emily in Paris. I can get a series done in two nights late at night. And, and I'm like, what am I going to watch next? So I'm just going through over and over. The binging is turning into what the heck am I going to find next? It's a constant quest. I think I need to go with something a little more traditional like what you have. Let's go on, Peter Michael Marino. Pete, he said, hey. I should call him Pete. Okay, Pete. Pete has a three-word quote, and it is from a song by Blondie. Everybody remember Debbie Harry? Da, 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 da. I remember that one. The lyrics by Christine and Debbie Harry. Uh, Dreaming is a song by the new wave band Blondie released in 1979 well that was a couple of weeks ago the opening track from their fourth album Eat to the Beat and it was inspired by ABBA's hit single Dancing Queen everybody knows that here is the quote three little words we love the short quotes Pete 
Dreaming is free. Pete, where'd you find this and what does it have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, dreaming, uh, the song Dreaming is the, opening, is the opening number of my failed musical. So I, I heard it a lot. Um, but uh, it really, uh, I don't know, it just resonated with me forever um, that it, it, you can just dream about, think about and plan whatever the heck you want to. It's no one's charging you to do that. No one's getting inside your brain, stopping you. And I, I really think that, uh, like I mentioned, going to the Edinburgh Fringe, I've done it like six or seven times, which is not free. Uh, Edinburgh Fringe is very expensive. Um, but I was exposed to so many comedians and um, just all kinds of artists who clearly had dreams of wacky, unbelievably original, how are they going to pull this off shows? And then they made them happen. And I definitely became a better artist and a more creative artist and probably a funnier artist just from witnessing other people's dreams come to life. Uh, you know, I, I kind of coach people a lot on different things. I mean, I coach people on PR and marketing and solo shows, but it winds up always being some kind of psychological <laughs> thing instead, you know, like, ah, I missed that, I missed that life coach boat, darn it. Um, and I'm not getting on it because that's just so obvious right now um, <laughs> to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, just like, just feel free to like dream and then feel free to like make mistakes. I think it was Bill Irwin said that comedy is someone in trouble trying to get out of trouble, which like to me is like any creator who's trying something new is clearly going to get in trouble. And the human part of it is we relate to them trying to get out of that trouble. So, um, you know, I never thought I'd be doing a kid show. I mean, Lori's known me forever. You never would have thought I was going to be doing a kid show, but no. somebody offered me money to turn my show into a kid show. So I said money. Yes. And <laughs> thought about it and thought about it and then just wrote it. And then now it's a show. I mean, I'm doing one today after this uh, in my studio, which is used to be my office. And now it's a, freaking children's studio there you go <laughs> so just <laughs> dream you. yep keep keep dreaming dream on matter of fact i'm a drummer now Lori knows that i'm a, i call myself a chick drummer with little red suede booties and i have my own band and the first song i played about eight weeks after i started drum lessons was dream on by aerosmith as part of an adult band at the school of rock where i was taking lessons and they said okay you want to be in the band we're performing in six eight weeks you're going to be on stage at motor co in downtown durham good luck i said oh it wasn't my kind of music. I didn't know what I was doing. And I got on stage and there's an audience of about 150 people in this big stadium-like building. And I thought, I've done stage work. I've done bachelor auctions. I've produced and hosted TV and radio for years, but I've never been on stage with a pair of drumsticks. <laughs> Dream on. I'm sorry for the sidebar, but it was so funny. And the most amazing thing happened. We finished the song and I'd been in rehearsals with the band for, for weeks, twice a week. And uh, the, one of the guitar players, lead guitar just before the end of the song turned to me lifted his guitar up like this and he and I locked eyes and he came down on the last note as I came down on the last crash it was the first time he never did that in rehearsals and we went boom and 
I just jumped up. I was screaming, yay, yay, yay. It was so dream on. Yes, dreaming and all kinds of it. I'm sorry for that, but you just brought back the memory. Thank you, Pete. You're Karen, welcome. Karen, 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 we have got a quote from Sarah Dessen, uh, the author of Saint Anything. It's actually from, let me just read a little background because I have never heard of her and she's in Chapel Hill and I'm in Raleigh, Durham area. And she waitressed at the restaurant, The Flying Burrito in Chapel Hill while launching her writing career. She wrote during the day, she waitressed at night. She quit her job after her first book was published that summer in 1996 and following the publication of her book dreamland she taught at the university of north carolina chapel hill and wrote what would become a book called this lullaby she has made the new york times bestseller list she's won awards she's young adult literature ya i had no idea she's written 13 novels and people call her a machine karen because she just keep pumping out these award-winning books i gotta find her so anyway here is the quote the future was one thing that could never be broken because it had yet, it had not yet had the chance to be anything. Karen, that's beautiful. Talk to me. How did you find that? You know, I found that I I was never even a Sarah Dessen uh, reader. Like, and I'm actually a really avid reader. Um, but I was, I read. There was a big controversy involving her. I think like a year or two ago, because of somebody was up for like. I don't know if it, it was something, it was like a, not the Booker Prize, but it was some major literary award. And she didn't win the award because people said her stuff wasn't serious enough because it was YA, which, and I don't even write YA, but it annoyed me because it's, to me, it's like a way to keep women down because women write really good YA. I don't know. that just really, so I started reading all about her and I came upon that quote and I was like, that is so true. I mean, it's really like we, it's kind of what a little bit, um, Pete, what you were saying, like you just have this idea of what, you know, like you make all these plans and everything and it's a future in the future. And I think this with, you know, I have teenage children and, we don't even know what anything's going to look like. And boy, is that true now? Like, you know, it seems like everything every day is not what I would have predicted the day before. Um, and it, it is, I'm trying to embrace it instead of looking at it from a dystopian way. I'm trying to look at it as, a little bit of an adventure because mm-hmm. you have two choices. Like you can either fight it, which as we know from my previous thing, I kind of do with the, um, you know, AOL account and stuff, but, or you can say, bring it on. Let, let me see what I can, let me see how I can navigate this. So that's really why. Thank you, Karen. I'm very happy to hear about Sarah Dessen, and I will. I'm. I'm obviously not a YA. I wish I was. If <laughs> YA, uh, by the way, I read some. I'm not. I don't read. I mean, I read so much because I just. I am a big reader, and every now and then I go through phases where I read YA, and they're really good. They're very high concept. Like sometimes it's a little too high concept for me. Like you know, there's like a life and death on every page, but <laughs> oh, um, <dear. laughs> they are really engaging those books. I mean, the reason why they sell so well is they're, they're so dramatic. There's kind of like a soap opera aspect 
Thank you. Very interesting. I was going to say that I'm not going to tell you what my age is today, but if I reverse, if I do dyslexia on my age, I'm a very young person again. We'll just leave that alone. So I reversed the numbers. I told my granddaughters I'm close to their age again, and they didn't say anything. Okay, so let's go to predictions. This is going to be really tight. Let's take one minute each for each prediction because I want to see how many we can get. So keep it tight. Eddie Sarfati, I'm looking at prediction number two. This is fascinating. You say, due to the spread of communication technology, audience size is continually expanding. Since there are over 7,000 languages currently spoken around the world, and probably more coming, the demand for physical and visual comedy, which doesn't rely on spoken words, will increase. Eddie, 60 seconds. What does this mean? Go ahead. Fascinating. Well, I think it means, I think I described what it means. Um, You know, if people want to reach as many people as possible, and if the internet, um, you know, is a commercially you know, for-profit driven medium, then, you know, it pays to invent products that are going to be appealing to the widest number of people as possible. And, um, you know, comedy can be very specific, very local. I mean, I don't know, you know, Seinfeld appealed to the U.S., which surprised everyone. They thought it was just going to be sort of this New York, East Coast kind of appeal. But it's sign, you know, is it going to appeal to you know, Sherpers in Nepal? Is it going to appeal to, you know, people in the rainforest in New Guinea when they get internet next month? Um, Probably not. Um, And I think it's just a cost, uh, you know, a cost um, effectiveness thing. Um, You know, we can all laugh at somebody slipping on a banana peel. We can all laugh at a pie in the face. We can all laugh at funny facial expressions or, um, you know, all those kinds of things. And I think, you know, that would be at least a big component of a comedian being literally world famous. Um, you know, uh, not just world famous like we see it now, but literally more every crack and crevice of the world famous. Thank you, Eddie. Appreciate that. Let's go to prediction. This is a lightning round, kids. Flory Hamill, prediction number two, commercials will continue to find the funny to sell their products, giving comics ah, a chance to shine and make money. Woohoo! Lori, talk to me. Well, I'm a living example because um, <laughs> I actually, right now on Comedy Central, there's a commercial that I shot from home. Literally, my husband had to be my cameraman. Uh, they sent a camera kit and I did it, uh, but for Old Spice. And it was a format that was really fun because it's actually a Zoom format. So... I just think that um, commercials are a great way to be able to supplement a comics um, income. And also I want to say that, you know, their um, commercials love, uh, especially for the auditions, improvisation. And that's such a big part. Um, mm-hmm. I love improv so much. Um, so I think that, uh, that, that uh, there's just like an unpredictability in that. And I think people yep. really respond to it also when they're watching the commercials. I love being a part of it. And Lori, I just I um, studied improv with Michael Gelman from Chicago Second City in New York many years ago. And there's something about good improv. You watch Whose Line Is It Anyway? You watch those shows on TV. And you know what most of the people who don't understand how it works say, oh, they wrote, somebody wrote the script. They just memorized a lot. <laughs> Nobody believes you can be that clever and funny by the seat of your pants spontaneously. The viewers 
think it had to be. And I understand that Robin Williams would change his comedy routines for each audience. Everybody thought it was so fresh and alive, but he delivered it differently, a little bit differently. There's that thought on improv that responding to the moment or to the character or to the line, it reels you in and you come out with something that engages the audience. Nobody believes that people can really do that. That's what I find fascinating about really, really clever improv. Pete, let's go to you. Prediction number two, performers will create new forms of comedy, embracing all that the worldwide digital access affords. What kind of new forms are we talking about here, Pete? I mean, I'm already seeing it. I've been attending uh, fringe festivals that have continued to go on since April, and I'm seeing performers that normally are up in front of a microphone, just creating brand new types of interactive things involving polls and chats and stuff you send in ahead of time. They're just getting ridiculously creative. Um, and I include myself in that. I mean, my, I didn't know, you know, I'm one of those performers who's like, oh, what's next? I'll never have an idea as good as the one I'm doing now. And then uh, one day I just decided I'm going to recreate the original Planet of the Apes film using grapes and call it Planet of the Grapes. And <laughs> my studio is now turning into... I'm, I'm studying something called toy theater from the Renaissance and learning about all these little paper theaters that people used to build to put on their uh -huh. own shows. So, but I'm making mine out of uh, cutting boards and uh, grapes and vines <laughs> and wine and things you'd find. Uh, I never thought I'd be doing that ever. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, a puppet show? What? No. Yeah. So um, yeah, for me, it's working and the stuff I'm seeing is much more exciting. I hate to say that than stuff I've gotten used to seeing. That's okay. That's, yeah. that's innovation. That's creativity. That's necessity is the mother of somebody's new form of comedy, right? Yeah. And Karen, I'm going to your prediction number one. You say comedy shows online are here to stay. So many audiences who would never set foot in a comedy club can experience stand-up in their homes. Karen, talk to me. Good prediction. Well, I just, I've been doing a ton of shows since this thing started. And especially like some of my crowds, you know, some of the people that find me funny would be are a little older. They don't really get the whole comedy club thing. They feel like it's for young people, like it's dirty. You know, they don't real. they have this idea that it's sort of this gritty kind of script club thing. And they might go to a theatrical show, but then they might not have access to going to a theatrical show so they go to the one online and you know what even the younger people are going because it's cheaper you don't have to you know for people who um don't want to spend money on like a drink minimum or might be in recovery and don't want to be around people who are drinking or whatever they can uh, watch it in their homes it's just it the whole thing is so much easier for them and they can make it more fun for themselves by inviting their friends and using the chat view, using like some people like going to the comedy show just so that they could go through the gallery and see who else is at the comedy show and look at their houses. That's why I have this beautiful one. <laughs> Touche, Karen. Thank you very much. We are back to, let's see, we're going to make one more round before we, we only have eight minutes left to the show. Let's see how fast we can go through these. Eddie, prediction number four, second part, comedy connoisseurs 
I want to be a comedy connoisseur when I grow up. We'll begin to produce comedy locally in what will first be a niche market, or niche is the French, a niche market, analogous to locally sourced food, but will eventually become the norm once again. And the French phrase is plus change, plus LMM shows. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Eddie, 60 seconds. Veet, veet, fast, fast. What do you think? Okay, well, I think the situation is kind of analogous to the advent of um, Comedy Central, where all of a sudden people had this parade of comics going through their their living room 24-7, and it really kind of killed comedy clubs for, for quite a long time. And then eventually, you know, people missed the contact, people missed the intimacy. And I think now with Zoom and, and all the stuff that's going online, part of it out of necessity, you know, people are hungry for it, which I think is why Zoom is working decently with comedy, but I think in the end, people are going to rediscover how important connecting is and how important being around other people is, that they're going to, people are going to start producing local things in sort of this like boutique kind of market. Um, And eventually that's, you know, it'll be like a a cyclical thing. Thank you very much. Veet, veet, veet. French, French, French. Fast, fast, fast. Let's go to Lori. Lori, prediction number four. Interesting. Short form like Quibi. I hope I'm saying it right. Quibi, yeah. Quibi, Quibi, Q-U-I-B-I. Is here to stay in May, even maybe even in shorter formats. How short is short, 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 short comedy? Lori, talk to me. Well, I think, you know, for me, I'm a headline consumer. Definitely. I will just, you know, you see the headline and you feel like you got your information. And uh, Vine was here, but very shortly and it's gone. And that was very short form video. And now Quibi has just been nominated, was nominated for many Emmy Awards. I don't know how many they won, but they just launched. So um, it's like, uh, I think things will happen that people can find the funny or the information quicker and quicker. And uh, why not? You know, it's just another exploration of... uh, um, thing ways to make us laugh. Thank I mean, you. not that Qui- Quibi can also be very dark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Comedy that makes us laugh. Let's go to Peter. Pete, I've got prediction number four teed up here. Celebrity comics. Is Lori one of those celebrity comics? We'll decide. Celebrity comics will be more accessible and engage more personally with their audiences. Pete, talk to me. Tell me more. I mean, there isn't more to say. That's a really great, that's a really well-written sentence. So... <laughs> Yes. Don't do that. Don't do that to the host. <laughs> Say something. <laughs> Say something. <laughs> well, I mean, look, uh, we're learning from young people. Young people have gotten all these people to engage with them, like pretty much talentless, but interesting young people have embraced <laughs> digital forms like TikTok and, and all the short form video things. And they are becoming celebrities and they are uh, staying in touch with their audiences. And uh, eventually, Everybody else is going to have to keep up with them and be more personal with their audiences. So, yeah. Thank uh, you. It went from Comedy Central, and then we learned about somebody, so then we saw them in person, and then we saw them in person, and then we follow them on Twitter, and then they watch their Zoom show, and suddenly we're in their living room. How much more personal can you get? That's true. Pete, you, you did write a very well-written prediction, but, and thank, thank you, you for forcing yourself to expand thank it in my BS. I appreciate it. <laughs> We're doing improv here, kids. That's, That's comedy. That's comedy. I hope so. Karen, prediction number two. I like this one. You say, the art of stand-up will change online. Jokes will include more than just language and performance. They may include the technology itself. Karen, this sounds like a visual. What is this all about? Karen, uh, you've got about a minute and a half, and then we're going to do a quick wrap-up. Go ahead, Karen. Okay, so, you know, it used to be with stand-up, it was just you and the mic, and it was kind of looked down upon to have props, to have 
extra things like that was considered sort of cheating. Now we have the four corners of the mm. camera. Um, so that can, anything, anything goes now. It's free. You can have props. No one's going to look down on you. It's literally like, are you connecting? And it might mean using the chat, using the polls, you know, doing special things with, I mean, why is Zoom adding all these little, you know, mustaches and silly hats and stuff? It's mm-hmm. all to make it enhanced. And I don't think people are thinking of it as cheating anymore. It's all about let's use what we have, you know, in the four corners. Thank you. Very well put. Anybody want to make a comment on that one? Uh, we, we did go through the, the Zoom, the little uh, extras before we started the show. And everybody, you have to update your Zoom. It's updated twice in the past five days, I think, and you'll see all of the little enhancements. I have so much enjoyed, that's an inside out sentence. I have really enjoyed so much talking to the four of you on October 7th. And thank you all for your insights about technology. Uh, it, it is, in a way, it's democratizing comedy, right? And back in the day, I took comedy out of the dark comedy clubs and I started performing with my troupe. Uh, what did we call ourselves? Bonnie G and Du Bois. B-O-Y-Z, in Borders bookstores and in public libraries on Long Island. And it was interesting because I didn't want just to do it in places where people had to go and it was smoky and they had to pay and it was a big deal. I want to take it to other audiences. So maybe I was ahead of my time. I don't know. I think a lot of people were doing it. Uh, It was just a lot of fun to help people laugh. We did get thrown out of one borders because one of my comedians used the V word about a woman's anatomy. Oh, no, virgin. He he said virgin. And the woman had a 10-year-old child with her in the coffee shop. We we took over a whole borders coffee shop. We had a like 150 people who didn't want to buy coffee and cake. They just wanted to hear comedy. <laughs> the manager got furious, but they were very offended that somebody used the, that V word. And uh, so we were blackballed in a lot, of the com- a lot of the borders around Long Island. Those were the days, kid. I want to say thank you to all of you. We're just about out of time. Uh, let's start around the table. Eddie Sarfati, one word. Where will you be doing your favorite comedy uh, in the next year? One word. Where? Um, in my living room. Thank you. Lori Hamill, where will you be doing your comedy in the next year uh, with the technology? Office. Office. Okay. Pete? Pete, you're muted, Darl. Pete, you're still muted. Pete? Yep. Yes, I was coughing. Where? I'm doing my comedy everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. Karen, will you still be in the mansion on the pool? Yes. <laughs> okay. And I'll still be here on Technology Revolution, the future of now. Thank you all for joining me. It's been lovely. And a shout out to everybody. Clap for Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire, who calls himself my sidekick because he really, really is. And a shout out again to Susan Corso for originally in- introducing me to Eddie. Eddie for introducing me to Karen. Lori Hamill, known you for years for introducing me to Peter Michael Marino. I like three names, Pete. It's fine. Okay. And this is Technology Revolution, the future of now. Remember, somebody says to you, and wait, everybody, because I want to take some group pictures. If somebody says to you, the future is already here, you say, no, Bonnie told me that was yesterday's future. Today's future, it hasn't happened yet. And we're all going to make it a better one with laughter. Everybody wave goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. You. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.